This week's sermon talks about Jesus' ascension into heaven. It happened 40 days after Easter. And we wonder, how can this be a time of joy when just 40 days earlier, the disciples were weeping and mourning the loss of Jesus? This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, May 17th, 2015. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we celebrate this ascension, knowing that you are at the right hand of the Holy Father, uh, we pray that you look down on us, you open our hearts through the Holy Spirit as we hear your word. Uh, Convict us where we need to be convicted, but renew us where we need to be renewed. We ask this in your name. Amen. Uh, We are starting uh, a micro-series, which is two weeks long. So it's a micro-series. We're going to be talking about ascension, and I'll talk chronology and things like this. If this is kind of new... You're saying, like, when was the ascension? We'll cover that. Uh, so we'll cover the ascension, and then that moves us into Pentecost, where the churches around the world celebrate Pentecost next week. We will only kind of be celebrating Pentecost uh, because it's Confirmation Sunday, so it makes sense to talk to the confirmants on that day. So it's an exciting, kind of cool time for us. But just to talk chronology, um, I'll do it this way for you. So the, the 50 days of Easter, we still have the Easter banners up. Someone said we still have the Easter banners up, but they said it with much more excitement. They said we still have the Easter banners up. Um, the reason is the, the church celebrates Easter for 50 days, which is really unusual because in America, as soon as something is done, it moves on to the next thing. In fact, it's, it's beat the other thing. So when you hit like uh, Christmas, they already have the Valentine's things out, you know, and they're, they're already gone. Like if you have not gotten your plants yet, you're probably done. Like you, you should be buying your snow shovel right now because it's so far in advance. So that's, that's how America works, but that's not how the church works. The church does a lot of things backwards, but this is one of them. And we kind of bask in the glory and the wonder of where we're at. So it doesn't actually start with Holy Week, but that's just to set the tone. We have Palm Sunday, and then it moves during that week. Lots of stuff happens during Holy Week. So we have Palm Sunday. Um, Jesus uh, clears the temple. If you've seen that in your kid's Bible where he's got the whips and he's clearing the temple. The widow's might, famous story. That happens, we believe, Wednesday of Holy Week. Then we get to Thursday, and Thursday is Monday, Thursday. He has his disciples in a special um, meal. It's a special festival type meal. He's on the cross already the next day by 9 a.m. 3 o'clock he's off the cross. That night he is uh, on, uh, in the tomb, so that's the beginning Friday, all day Saturday, and then 6 o'clock is the start of the next day, so into Sunday he's in the tomb. I'm running out of room. Um, what happens then for these, these days that follow is for 40 days Jesus appears to people all around to show that he is really resurrected. So he appears to one time 500 people at once. He appears to the women. He appears to the disciples. He appears to them in the upper room, all these different places. And so the church celebrates this kind of time of Easter and it ends with Jesus leaving on ascension. Now ascension happens kind of on a boring day of Thursday. It's one of the only holidays that lands, like, not on a weekend if um, Jesus wasn't thinking of our calendar, apparently, when he decided to ascend into heaven. So, but it ends on, on a Thursday. So this past Thursday, 43 days, so just, just think timeline. You can picture probably Easter, if you think back, like April, what was it, 5th? It's a while back. So this whole time Jesus is appearing to people. Now this past Thursday happened, and Jesus ascended into heaven. So the question I asked the kids is, how would that you think the disciples would feel? Or maybe put it this way. Of all the people who have had influence in your life, last week we talked about moms, 
Life is a team sport. There's all kinds of people that have kind of uplifted you. Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's an employer. Maybe it's a teammate. These people have kind of held you up to do amazing things. What kind of influence do you think Jesus had? For these guys who walked around, some even argue that they're teenagers. I won't go that far. But, I mean, pretty young men who for three years got to walk with the Son of God and to hear him talk the kindest gentlest, uh, but at the same time spoke with authority, who always listened, who was always caring, who never sinned. What kind of influence do you think that had? And now suddenly he's like leaving for the final, final time. Gone. This is, I think, a big deal. I mean, if you got sad over the last episode of Breaking Bad, now just imagine what this is like. We even have a term for this called separation anxiety. Now, this happened to each one of us. No one wants to admit it. Maybe it's the first time your parent uh, laid you down in the crib and you cried. Maybe it's when they took you to preschool and uh, then you're both crying, right, when you take your kid to preschool. You get to kindergarten, only mom is crying. And then it's okay for dads to cry when you get married. That's the only time, you know, dads don't cry up until that time, uh, until maybe college, but, um, you know, they come and now they're gone. And then ultimately death comes. We have all these separate, how many times has this happened in your life? probably like a thousand. It should happen a lot. I mean, if you're still at home, maybe it's not happening as often, but I mean, this should happen a lot. And you have this deep pit in your stomach, this separation. Now, the most influential person, the the person who has uplifted these men even more than their own mother is there, and he's leaving for the final time. What kind of reaction would you expect him to have? There's a precedent that said they would be sad. So we have an instance um, here. This is Jesus in the upper room you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. He said also in the upper room before he was crucified, in a little while you will see me no more, but then after, after a little while you will see me. They wept. They mourned when Jesus went to the cross. Not only did they have the guilt of kind of abandoning him, they got to witness the violence of his own death. And not like a dramatic victory for the team, This is a humiliating death on a cross. And the person they looked up to is now gone. But then he comes back and he appears to them over the course of 40 days and he is getting ready. He goes to the top of the hill and he's going to ascend into heaven. You would assume that there would be some tears. I would think that if I knew it was the final, final time I was going to see my parents, I think I would cry. Maybe. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Of course you would, right? You need to be broken up. So it says, when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So you're like, okay, now what do they do? Do they all like freak out? Do they all cry? But instead, it says, then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Just read that one more time. Then they worshiped. Jesus just left. He's not coming back in their lifetime. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem. We'll say this together, with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple. We're not very good at saying things together. We'll try one more time. We'll say the last two words here. Maybe I have to do it like uh, Bill Cosby and Mortimer Marker. You ready? Praising God. There we go. If I had a marker that made noise, I'd be much more popular, I think. So this total reaction that's totally different than you expect, what is different? In the 40-day period where they wept and mourned, what is different from like, when Jesus dies and they're crying and they don't know what to do to 40 days later. 
This is not like getting sick of a relative and they're like, it's about time they left. We reap with joy. You know, this is not the case, right? I think the best way we can figure it is a few verses earlier, it says this. He said to them, he's on the mountain, he's getting ready to ascend. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what was written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Did you catch like a key phrase that has totally changed the way they look at things? He opened their minds. So up until this point, they were confused. There's plenty of times where they're confused. A lot of times we actually kind of make fun of the disciples that they didn't get it. And you're like, how could they spend three years with Jesus? And he laid it out again and again and again. And then, you know, ascension, they're like, okay, at this time, are you going to make an earthly kingdom? Like, you get frustrated. But sometimes that kind of has to happen in your life. I'll give you a couple examples from advertising world. Uh, has anyone heard the phrase, there's nothing like, or no such, or the greatest thing since sliced bread? That tells you how often I use great cliches. The greatest thing since sliced bread. So the guy who invented this, his name was Otto, I got to s- pronounce it right, Roe Wetter. So he's a German immigrant. He comes to live in Chicago and he gets this idea like, we should slice bread. He was an optometrist, sold, got out of that business, started to get into the jewelry business. He eventually owned three jewelry stores. So this guy's doing pretty well. But then he had this vision like, He's tinkering at home. He goes, I want to make a bread slicer. So he puts in the paper and he solicits responses from the ladies of Chicago. Like, what's the perfect thickness of bread? He got 30,000 responses back. Does that tell you it's a different era? Like, if you just read, like, A, they read the paper and B, someone actually responds. Like, they can't even bribe us. They're like, win a gift card if you do this survey. And I'm like, no thanks. You know, like, but, it, but here they actually, 30,000 responses and he figures out the perfect width. So he's working on this. 1917, his whole factory and blueprints burns down. That does not deter him. He thinks this is the greatest idea. He gets another job and saves and saves and works and works for 10 more years. And finally, he gets like the prototype bread slicer, and he's really excited. He sells it to one factory, I think in St. Louis. That factory's business goes up 2,000%. Then 1928, 1929... It's not until Wonder Bread, yep, Wonder, I, I, no one wants to admit, it's like eating at McDonald's, no one admits they eat at McDonald's, no one admits they eat Wonder Bread. What are you eating over there? Nothing, I'm just doing drugs, you know, like, you know, no one wants to say they eat Wonder Bread, but Wonder Bread is the company based out of New York that finally put his slicer and it went mainstream and now then, not too long later, his slicer was in just about every bread factory in the world. So from an advertising, marketing, building standpoint, he is an utter failure for the first like 10 plus years of his life, but then suddenly people saw sliced bread makes sense. Give you another example. Probably one more than you need. Uh, from the advertising world, uh, this guy's name, I gotta look it up so I don't, I gotta pronounce it correctly. Uh, Howard Moskowitz, does anyone know that name? He's kind of famous in the advertising world. He became famous, um, if you read books like Malcolm Gladwell and other nerdy books, glad no one is nodding. Okay, there's our few nerds out there. 
Okay, uh, so he became famous because they were trying to figure out the greatest, uh, the perfect sweetness for Diet Pepsi. So they hired Howard Moskowitz. So then he got all these groups and he had all these varying flavors to test it. And apparently Diet Coke is way more popular. But um, he couldn't quite figure it out because there was no like magic number of sweetness. That's why it tastes terrible. And, but they hired Moskowitz again for Prego. So Prego is kind of down on the spaghetti world, not doing all that well. And then Regu, if you know Regu, is, is kicking butt. So is Heinz. And they said, you know what, we've got to do something about this. This is a subsidiary of Campbell's Soup. And so they hired Moskowitz, 1986. And instead of bringing focus groups in, instead of putting a letter in the newspaper saying, please let me know the perfect spaghetti to make, that's what they were doing up until this time, Moskowitz comes up with this weird mathematical formula that has 45 different varieties of spaghetti sauce with like every conceivable variable with the ingredients they had. So this much garlic, this little garlic, you know, this much spice, this much spice. He gets done with the whole thing. And it turns out people fit into three categories. And if we had a little more time, I'd actually want people to raise their hand because I'm interested. Um, number one is one-third generally of the population likes their spaghetti sauce plain. I can guess which one of you. You're probably an engineer as well. No. <laughs> The one-third likes it spicy, and we won't stereotype. I assume you're an accountant because accountants have tons of fun. So it's, it's regular, spicy. Can you guess the third one? Extra chunky. And up until that point, there is no extra chunky whatsoever. So Moskowitz goes to the Prego people and says, listen, I did all my studies, did all my little mathematical deal. We need to do chunky, and these guys are blown away. They're like, no one, we've done focus groups forever, and no one has ever said, we want chunky. But they did it, and they redo their whole recipe, and they make $600 million with this extra chunky tomato sauce. I like extra chunky, so I'm like, thanks, thanks, Howard. So, the, and spicy and plain, just so you don't stereotype me. So, what, what was the big deal? These guys have tried and tried and tried. It's right there before their eyes. This is their job, and then someone opens their minds on a much, much deeper level. The disciples had their minds opened. And so up until this time, they saw all these things right before their eyes. And I think sometimes we kind of jump on their back and say, like, I can't believe they couldn't see it. But at the same time, people didn't see sliced bread. And at the same time, people didn't see this tomato sauce. And before we get too critical, I think we'd ask ourselves a couple questions. I mean, just to be a little bit pointed. We know that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that he rules at God's right hand, and that he expects things from us, and that God is looking out for us. Is that how we live our life? If someone looked, I mean, just from the outside at our life, would they see like someone who does not doubt because they know they are in the Lord's hands? Do they see someone who never worries? Do they see someone when they see their finances say, you know, that's okay? Do they see someone when they face job troubles and relationship issues that just fall to God's feet and say, God, you have always taken care of me. You, you've helped the world forever. I know you're going to help me. Here do they see someone else. We know that Jesus says, if you uh, put anything above me, you're not worthy of being with me. If, if someone just looked into our life like your neighbor, maybe you have a neighbor that looks into your life. <laughs> There's neighbors here. I was making a joke. Okay. Uh, the, you have a neighbor that looks into your life, and they saw the way that you um, spend your money. Like, they just look into your checkbook. Would they say, wow, this is a person that totally relies and trusts God's promises, that honors God with everything they do? 
When they say the way that you support a church, do they say the same thing? If, if your kids just look into your life, and what do they think? Do they think, wow, this is a holy servant of God when they see you blow up? When you see your short temper? When they see how frustrated you get with them? When they see how stressed out you get at work? And they're like, wait a second, isn't Jesus at the right hand of God? And everything's supposed to be okay? And now you're freaking out, and you're my dad? Mom, mom. No, no, right? I mean, what, now, just think about that. Now we're looking with 2020 hindsight at these disciples. What if someone in the past got to see what we know about Jesus and all his commands and the way to walk, and they looked at our life, would they look and say like, wow, they really nailed it? Or do you feel that sense that, you know what, even though I have, just like the disciples, I need the scriptures to open my mind. How do the disciples react? They're filled with joy. This isn't the first thing they saw, I mean, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. They, the first time they saw Jesus rising from the dead, they didn't quite get it. Here's where I think we have to shake down. There's two miracles that happen at Ascension. The first is Jesus going up in the sky without ropes or rocket ships. I mean, this is amazing, right? This would be amazing as a disciple. The second miracle that I don't think we should downplay is the opening of their minds because up until that point the the world closes your mind your own selfishness closes your mind sin closes your mind it's only through the holy spirit a miracle that your mind is opened so when you take a look at your own life and you say okay i am going to spend this money towards this or towards this when you do the things of god that's a miracle when you recognize how selfish we are and when you actually do something for someone else that's a miracle of God. When you see that I'm going to build a community of people, and in fact, I'm going to do things for other people, not just me, that's a miracle of God. When I don't blow up my kids, that's a miracle of God. And so there's two miracles that are happening. The Holy Spirit has opened your minds through the Scripture. And through sin, they sometimes get closed, but through God's Word, He opens them again to say, listen, we know what we're supposed to be doing. If I had took a survey of everyone here and said, what does it look like to live a life of Christ? Is there anybody who would fail? No one's going to write, like, steal stuff. You know, th- that's not going to come up, talk bad. I mean, we got what we're supposed to be down. And sometimes we think, like, okay, if I just read my Bible enough, if I just do this enough, if I just go to church enough, if I just pray enough, it's going to totally transform my life. The only thing that transforms your life is not you. It's the Holy Spirit working in your heart, a miracle to change the way you live brings us all the way back to ascension. These guys are on top of a mountain. Jesus is left for the final, final time. And through the Holy Spirit, a miracle happens, and their eyes are opened, and their mind is opened, and they know that God is at the right hand, and that God is going to bring a peace that we never fully understand, that God is going to bring forgiveness for their guilt and their lack of living his way, and that God has brought that peace to them. And we can say, with the Apostle Paul, may that peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard and keep your hearts hearts in Christ Jesus. Amen. Uh, We pray. Heavenly Father, when we see the ascension, it's an amazing miracle. We see that Jesus is going up to heaven. But let's not forget, this is not a secondary holiday. This is a day where Jesus went to live and reign with you. He's arranging our life for us. He's working on our behalf. He's intercessing for us. He's calling for our forgiveness. But he's also empowering us and open our minds to the scripture. Help us always stay close to your word. 
Help us be witnesses of that word as we go about our daily lives. We ask this in your name, powerful name, up in heaven. Amen.